everybody. <laughs> Welcome back to Equestrian. I'm Caroline. I'm a barrel racer from Virginia, and I'm here with my co-host, Annie. I'm a dressage rider in California. And today we're going to fight over which one is better, dressage <laughs> or barrel racing. Are you ready? Just kidding. We're not, oh we're not going to fight. We're friends. It's not why we're here. <laughs> uh, so moral of the story, why we're actually here today is we wanted to discuss a, a topic that we really think is so relevant in the equestrian community. And it's basically duration versus education. You've been doing something for a really long time versus you've been doing something with an aggressive pursuit of knowledge and basically how that shakes out throughout the industry. So come along with us. The battle royale of dressage and barrel racing. <laughs> and today we're going to fight. <laughs> I can't even imagine how that would go. Somehow I don't see me winning. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like you could, I feel like the, the dressage people would have it in the bag. Because really? Like, I feel like it would take just one like fiery lap around us and we'd be like, hold on, let's massage over here. <laughs> we're going to start with a gallop. Just abandon all reason and go for it. <laughs> Change my mind. I don't want to fight anymore. <laughs> but then again, if you ask like most barrel racing people, are like today we're going to go balanced forward straight. It'd be like, never mind. I tap out. <laughs> you lost. So me. it depends. It would be I'm an interesting fight. <laughs> I can't do it. I don't want to. I quit. I lack the will. <laughs> I lack the will. That is perfect. Uh, but anyway, we digress. So one of the things that we were talking about as we were kind of brainstorming some upcoming topics was how often you encounter people in this industry who even really well-intended people or institutions or um, basically any sort of platform that are like, hey, I've been doing this for 20 years and I'm an expert. And your like, little voice inside is like, yeah, but what if you've been doing it wrong for 20 years? Then you just have mm -hmm. a lot of experience doing something in the wrong way. And I don't mean like you do it differently than me, then you're wrong. I mean like very clearly um, knowledge and experience and uh, kind of industry growth has very clearly bypassed um, this particular uh, person or, you know, mentality. And I think that that's really something important to touch on. And what we really wanted to focus on today was how to avoid spending a really long time practicing something that's outdated and creating and fueling a growth mindset as a member of the equestrian community. Yeah. And I think that um, you, you're, you're going to touch on this in another podcast. Um, but I think that the, the idea that you're already here to enjoy and to learn and to progress on your horse, most likely. So those, those steps are, have already been, you've already started the process and put in the effort to get that far. And so this is kind of the last missing piece of like education and your growth mindset within your riding is why not take it to the max and educate yourself on the side so that like you've already come to the barn, you've, you've paid your board, you've paid for your horse's shoes, you've paid for vaccines, you've paid for dental. 
and you've show, you've changed your clothes, you're on time, showing up at the barn, you're tacked up, you're groomed, you've just got on your horse. Like, do you know what you're going to do? Do you have a plan? What's your right? Do you want to continue to struggle or be demoralized because you lack like the educational follow through, or because like you've been beating your head against the wall trying to you know accomplish something that was outdated 20 years ago? And Mm -hmm. on the flip side, I think that it's important to be cognizant that like what we're talking about is absolutely not like hopscotching from one latest and greatest thing to the next latest and greatest thing. Like I absolutely want to clarify that that's not what we're speaking to here. Um, But mostly just continuing to grow and learn and augment your skill set with a contemporary relevance that enables you to be as successful as possible and to identify what growth characteristics are authentic to you as a rider or a competitor or a trainer or a teacher or a clinician um, and, and what that looks like. Absolutely. Um, so I hope it's okay that we jump into the first. Th- this it's, is, not okay. it's not okay. I'm not okay. ready. <laughs> right. I'm just kidding. I'm ready. I'm here. I'm here. Well, for the, the biggest thing that we both agreed on was that we all need to read. Just reading is kind of the be- the first place to start if you're um, seeking a growth mindset. I know that I try to read. Um, I try to alternate between reading a writing or dressage theory book and then a, a motivational or growth mindset book. So every time I read one, I'll do one dressage theory and then one um, growth mindset or motivational or inspirational book. Um, and Caroline reads more than she breathes. So books are my love okay. language. Um, <laughs> I like to, and I actually did read a study that said that even if you don't read the books, simply having them in your presence has a, like a mentality shifting uh, like power. Uh, so there are literally books everywhere in my home. Um, but I'm, I'm absolutely hundred percent with Annie. Um, I try to constantly be partaking in some sort of extra education. And the reason that we specifically, um, aligned reading with books, um, and you could do like an audio book, you could do like audible or something like that, but that it generally takes a little bit more intent and a little bit more credibility, um, to create a book than just like arbitrarily searching on the internet Um, where you could really kind of come across anything. And there are so many great books out there that are not specific to just like the equestrian world. Um, But, and we've mentioned some of our favorite books previously, um, but that just really helped to keep you in a growth mindset and keep you growing and learning and changing and just avoiding being, uh, becoming stagnant. Um, So absolutely um, thing number one for both of us is read. And if you don't have like the attention span or the time to sit down with a book, you know, get an audiobook. They're available shoot for free on YouTube. Um, you can get Audible, you can get it through Amazon. Um, while you're in the car, while you're on the treadmill, while you're doing your warm up, while you're grooming your horse at the barn, just um, try to absorb additional knowledge. Mm-hmm. And the so the mentor that I work with, um, she's a huge reader and she's kind of prescribed a number of books to me that she felt like were kind of like the, the fundamental books that that a dressage person ought to to have read and understand. And so um, I try to, I mean, not only have I read those books, but I tried to kind of branch out and find other writing theory books that like, if I know I'm going to have a lesson on a particular topic, or if there's something that in a past lesson that I really struggled with, I try to go back to where can I find this topic in theory 
and understand as much as I can off the horse and even try and like visualize what I'm trying to do that I was struggling um, with having maybe like a different uh, visualization or imagery from a book or something like that. Like, I feel like it's just, I, I think of it just like doing my homework in between lessons. And it just means that you're just going to get so much more out of your riding, whether you're taking a lesson or you're just riding. If you're bringing a new um, image or a new piece of information to every ride. Yeah. Who is it? Is it the Sally Swift books where she does all of the oh like, God, really yeah. crazy illustrations? I heard yeah. somebody once say they were like, this is why you don't do drugs and write, write horse books at the same time. <laughs> yeah, but time. her, her, her imagery is her spectacular. Imagery is awesome. I think it's called Centered Riding by Sally yes. Swift. Yeah. Um, but which is a great book for anybody of any discipline to look into. And that's one thing I think that we can both speak to is like, um, not necessarily to be mired down into like your specific discipline. Um, but to just kind of be open-minded for a variety of books, like both Annie and I really loved, um, Doneen Taylor's book and she's a calf roper. Um, neither one of us are ropers in any capacity, but there was a tremendous amount of value in that book. Um, George Morris's book, Hunter Seat Equitation is excellent. Neither one of us are particularly invested in, you know, Hunter Seat Equitation in any capacity, but they just are, um, you have access just like you do, you know, through the internet and through podcasts a lot, you have access to the brains of people that you would never be able to just like randomly and organically encounter in the public. Excuse me, please tell me everything, you know. Absolutely. Um, But that kind of brings us to our next point that's actually really important is to have a role model within your realm or better yet, a trainer, having someone um, that's going to help you see your your goals on a grander scheme and kind of track your progress and help you track your progress Um, and just make sure that you're being safe and that you and your horse are both on the same page. I, th- I feel like there's really nothing like one of the best investments in your riding and in your horse is having a trainer. I think that's Absolutely. like, and that's like one the of the most two thing you should invest in after purchasing the animal <laughs> or actually better yet invest in the trainer before you find the animal. <laughs> and one of the most important things in doing that. And I wholeheartedly believe this. I know Annie believes this as well. Um, and it's maybe like a little delicate to articulate. I absolutely believe that you, if you are a trainer, an instructor, or a clinician, um, if you are taking people's money in trade for providing them with an education, you absolutely need to have some sort of contemporary relevance. In most cases, that would be showing in some kind of discipline, getting out somewhere in the real world on a regular basis. Not that you have to be committed to it full time. Not that you have to be winning all the time, but just because it forces you to stay relevant and stay contemporary and it forces you not to exist um, in your own little like self like self-contained bubble. Um, but mm-hmm. it makes you constantly evolve as an educator, um, which in turn trickles down to your students. I think all of us have kind of seen those bubbles where you have um, a, a barn or a trainer or a clinician that has a following, but they've so far existed out of the world of relevance that you encounter mm-hmm. people who've spent quite a bit of money or time um, investing in methods or mentalities or equipment or whatnot um, that really are not helpful. And how demoralizing that that can be and how discouraging that can be um, to feel like you're really trying hard to educate yourself, but have absolutely um, no updated relevance. Um, Mm -hmm. which I would absolutely, um, put high up there on the list. Not that everybody that you have to go to has to be like the number one winningest person ever, 
but they should at least be putting themselves out there. Um, I think that's part of taking people's money for education is that you have to be willing to trade um, kind of some professional skin in the game um, mm-hmm. you know, I think for your credibility. Yeah, I think, um, and, and if you are somebody that already has a trainer and you're in a great place with that trainer, another step further that you could take it would be to um, get on social media and follow some of the elite riders in your discipline. Absolutely. Um, because they don't have proximity to somebody of that level where you're currently at, you exactly. can get proximity to them. Yeah. And nowadays people are doing these like zoom, um, like, I don't know if they're zoom, but they're like with your like Vizio or Pixio, you can do these like uh, virtual lessons. So it's like, yeah. it's a whole new, this whole Corona thing has kind of blossomed a whole new manner of, uh, like education and we've talked about this before oh go ahead Mm -hmm. Um, I was gonna say that like a lot of your top tier people especially during the COVID lockdown went from like showing all the time to like having time available and so they're creating great accessible content to anybody that's willing to you know follow them on Instagram or um, you're you're seeing such an influx of digital information from people who typically maybe wouldn't have the time or availability to do so. Absolutely, yeah. Scott Hessler and Hessler Dressage just started doing Trainer Tip Tuesday, which they've all been amazing. And Arroyo Del Mar, if you're a dressage person, obviously these are dressage things. Um, Arroyo Del Mar has started doing um, like try at home exercises featuring some of their trainers. And I mean, these are all like international caliber riders that are that are just putting information out there for our benefit and it, it just makes no sense to not follow and capitalize um, on it and that goes yeah. for any discipline I mean social media has become such a pivotal part of being a professional that regardless of what you're interested in you can find somebody at the absolute top of whatever field you want to partake in and um, be in their barn via your cell phone um, which is really an incredible blessing which I think kind of leads us to our next point uh, the internet. Yes. This, I feel like, okay, so Caroline and I both adamantly follow Fallon Taylor. Um, Caroline has been following for many years. I'm a dressage writer, so it wasn't, she wasn't somebody that kind of organically came into my world until Caroline introduced her, but she talks about this all the time. Um, and I try and, I've been trying to, to apply this rule to my life. Um, uh, but she talks about, like, before you ask a question to your mentor or a friend or anything, like, can you find the answer yourself or, or can you Google the answer? Can you struggle through the answer? Can you trial and error to get, like, get an answer? Um, and to not just immediately and easily send off a message like, hey, blah, 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 blah. I have this question about this. What's your, what's your thought? Or like, do you know the answer to this? Is it like everything is Googleable these days? And, and it also helps to really refine your intellect. Like I was at one of her clinics several years ago and one of the most impressionable things that she said was, if you had the opportunity to ask your role model one question in real life, what would it be? And to brainstorm that beforehand, because just the act of brainstorming that is going to help frame your knowledge because you don't want, you're going to want to find out as much as you can about that particular question before you ask it so that you're not wasting your 15 minutes of fame or like your 15 seconds of access by asking a question you could Google the answer to. And just Absolutely. the practice of doing that really helps to expand uh, your awareness and expand your knowledge about what your question is. For real, for sure. 
Oh, I really love this next one too. I think that this has been tremendously helpful to me because I have a tendency to go completely brain dead and be like, I don't know what happened. It was just 15 seconds that evaporated from my brain. What happened? Um, But Annie's really, really good about this on like the daily. And that would be get a a, a words. Use the words. Video (laughs) Video rides. So I bought like, I think it was like a $14 phone tripod from Amazon and it's not, it's certainly not the best quality and it doesn't like track or zoom in like some of the super fancy, um, like robot cameras do. Um, but it, it's enough so that I just like stick it to the fence sitting above my trainer and I can see a vague idea of what I was doing and I can also hear her instruction. Um, so it's super helpful if she gives me like some theory that I was like, as I was working, I was having a hard time, like actually riding the horse and processing the theory at the same time, I can go back and like re-listen to the theory that I really wanted to let sink in. Um, As well as I can actually, I can see what I look like. I can see what it looks like as well as what it felt like. And I can remember. um, And I, I think they say that the best thing to when the best time to watch your video is immediately following the lesson or immediately following the ride. Um, just so that your brain can kind of correlate like you, cause that feeling is still fresh in your mind and you can be like, mm-hmm. oh, I was working on this particular thing and I still remember the feel of it. And you can associate the feel with how it looked. And then you can be like, whoa, and you can almost give yourself a mini lesson and be like, oh, come on, sit up. Or like, if I could just get my, my timing a little more correct here, I think I could have influenced this a little bit better. And then so you can almost kind of answer your own questions and it kind of comes back to the same thing of like coming to your writing lessons prepared with understanding the theory because you read a book, but also like coming to your writing lesson, having watched your last one and working and, and working in that week, like, okay, here's what I struggled with last week. And I watched three rides of mine since then. And I think because I was able to see it three times, I was able to kind of correct each time. And so now I'm coming into my writing lesson and I've already corrected the thing that Like maybe you didn't even need your trainer to be the eyes on the ground for you. Like maybe you could be your own eyes on the ground. So I think it's part of like uh, the underlying theme with all of this is like, it makes you uncomfortable and it holds you accountable. Like Mm -hmm. if you are taking a lesson every week and you are never pushed out of your comfort zone, you need to radically reevaluate whether you are actually growing. Um, I think it was you who said that um, your trainer had said that like growth begins at the edge of your comfort zone. And when you are staying in your comfort zone all the time, you'll be comfortable, but you aren't going to grow. And that's kind of, that's like the, the, you know, the half sister to ignorance. Like you have so many of these people who have been doing something the same way for 20 years. And not that there's not room for tradition or for experience because there absolutely is, but there's a, such a radical difference between being comfortable being locked in just a radically outdated or uneducated mentality, but to feel confident and validated in that because you've been doing it for a long time. Um, and like pushing yourself out of your comfort zone uh, to learn and to grow and to get better. Mm-hmm. And I think the last piece to that little bullet point is to videotape your competitions because it's one thing to see your lessons and to see your independent rides, but it's another thing, another thing to see how you're performing under pressure. And if you don't compete, that's absolutely fine. 
Um, but if your goal is competition and you do want to be competitive, um, it's important to see how you perform under pressure. And uh, sometimes this can be very unpleasant to see if you like watch yourself come unraveled. But it's important to kind of understand like what happened. Was it something that like you just got inside your head or you didn't warm up like you could reevaluate your warm up process or like maybe you didn't understand your horse as well as you thought you did or um, like a new environment for the two of you was a little bit rattling. I think this is another. It's kind of that like what do they say like admission is the first step to recovery like if you have a problem to solve but you're not innately aware of what the problem is it's going to be harder for you to solve it but if you can be like okay things went bad okay well where they went bad well I don't know somewhere and then you can watch it on video and you're like oh Nope. Yep. Right there. Right That's there. Where it happened. <laughs> yeah. That was it. <laughs> it's not always fun, but a lot of times, like if I have, if I'm riding in a show and I have either I have like multiple horses or I have multiple tests on the same horse, um, like I will do my best if I have time, obviously you don't always have time, but if I have time, I will watch the video of my first test before I go back into the second test. And some people, this can like kind of psych them out. So you have to know what kind of person you are and if you can kind of mentally, if it's productive for you or if it's if it's going to be destructive. Um, but I like to go back and watch and see what I did and see um, like what my position looked like. Because in my head, it felt like this. And then when I watched the video, it was like, oh my gosh, we got to fix that. So then as I go back in and try to warm up for the second class, um, I have a whole new game plan, likely, than when I came in for the, the warm-up for my first class. Um, and I think, too, like, that awareness is, you know, it, everything going wrong, no matter what it is, starts with one tiny thing that went awry. So, like, <laughs> whether that one tiny thing that went awry dictated the success or failure of your next movement or of your entire barrel pattern, or of your entire day, if you can reverse engineer all the way back to that first moment where something little went awry that either avalanched or expanded or compounded in all of the subsequent things, if you can find, isolate, go back, and work on correcting that little moment, then you've set yourself up for success for what typically would have just been like continual momentum of degradation. Yeah, and I I imagine that in barrel racing, this is like super critical because as soon as you have one issue, like you only have so many seconds. So like if you let it snowball or sometimes I'm sure the mistake you make just naturally like has to snowball. Like if you hit a certain barrel in a wrong way or you're like not literally hit it, but like if you come in it at a certain way. You have an immediate ramification. Yeah, like like your trajectory is just immediately off. And that's Um, one thing, um, just like a little tidbit that I've found really helpful myself is like, I really struggle with like that exact issue is like, I'll do something wrong. And then like, by the time, because I'm such an external processor overthinker that by the time mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, I need to fix this, like you're done. Mm -hmm. So what I've done at home is like, not that I practice the barrels at home a whole lot, but I'll set up like the teeny tiniest barrel pattern ever. Because Mm -hmm. it forces you to speed up your thinking, speed up your actions and speed up your reactivity um, because you just don't give yourself the time to fail, like, Mm -hmm. which is kind of a, I guess, a challenging point. Um, But it's kind of like it's one of those disciplines where like you taking the time to stop and think about things is just like your absolute worst enemy. Yeah, it's, it's, I think dressage, you have a bit more of an advantage because 
you know, you have like a lot more time that you're in the ring. Um, but a lot of times you see people snowball in similar ways. Like they, yeah. lose, they lose something in one movement. And then as soon as you get to thinking reactively instead of writing proactively, it carries I mean, over to it. the rest of your test. Yeah. And, and it's one of like, if you can do it well, one of the beautiful things is that like when that movement is over, that score is behind you and you can start the rest of your test completely over and like which takes a tremendous amount of mental fortitude to be able to compartmentalize and be like okay that wasn't ideal but now we're moving on to the next thing and we're starting with a clean slate and for me I'm like okay that's minus two points I need to like find two points to to make that up like okay now now I've really got to ride because I just lost points here so I've got to like step it up a notch and it takes quite a bit of like internal pep talking (laughs) to recover from stuff like that. And it also enables you to structurally plan a little bit. Like I remember when I was working for the reigning trainer, it was one of the things that they talked about that like you have horses that are predisposed to excelling at different movements. So like you might have a horse that's like maybe like a zero spinner or maybe even like a minus half spinner, but they've got like a plus half stop. Like, you know, that like your best intention and your best goal is to like, get through their least strong movements with at least Mm -hmm. just like a neutral score so that you can really, really highlight their plus scores. So that, but the last thing that you would want to do is allow a horse that's maybe like a minus half spinner carry over. And then all of a sudden they've got a zero stop. And then your minus half on one movement has contributed to like additional lost points in the next movements because you haven't been able to compartmentalize what may just be an inherent weakness in a particular animal mm-hmm. or in a particular rider for, for that matter. Yeah, um, and I think part of that too is like what we had to discuss next was um, you have to reevaluate. You have to be able to honestly and unbiasedly step back and look at yourself and ask yourself tough questions. And that comes to that comfort zone thing. Like, if I'm comfortable all the time, it starts to make me uncomfortable. Like just the act of sustained comfort starts to make me feel uneasy because I feel like I'm not doing the work. Not Mm -hmm. that I like intentionally want to suffer or like have to be having a hard time, but I know that I'm not growing if I'm just coasting. And so what I try to do, I actually started doing this with my closet and with my home is if I was a stranger and I saw this, what would my thoughts be? How do I need Mm -hmm. to edit accordingly if I'm looking at myself not as my own self? Absolutely. Well, I think that's kind of how this podcast evolved is that in our effort to remain friends but living 3,000 miles away, we were calling and chatting about things. And so we kind of have the benefit of being like, although we're not strangers, um, like you are a physical stranger to like my training and my horses and I'm a physical strainer or physical strainer. strainer. Yes, the water runs through me, but I catch the debris. (laughs) Oh my gosh, it's so philosophical. (laughs) (laughs) There's some relevance to that though, you know? know. (laughs) Look at me go. I'm the strainer. (laughs) I can't even say what I was trying to say. I'm a physical stranger to you and your progress. So we kind of, we we are able to like bring our problems and like strengths and um, weaknesses to each other 
kind of in an unbiased way. And so I think that that's one way that our friendship has helped each other to be to remain really accountable and to kind of help us each each one of us reevaluate our our timelines. Um, but it's and because our discipline, a third party, unbiased third party to kind of follow, even if it's, um, well, I mean, they do kind of have to, anyway, but back to that and, point. But, yeah. it, but you are, you're correct. And it's good to almost find in that unbiased person, um, like don't, don't shortchange yourself. Like your internal voice knows when you're lying to yourself. And if you're like, okay, well, I'll validate myself. I'm going to ask the girl who's just like me, who, if she can be my unbiased third party, like, no you know, the, the inherent blessing in our friendship is that we are involved in disciplines that are as radically different as disciplines can probably be, which Mm -hmm. lends us each to such different perspectives, but rather than coming at it in like a conflict or like, you know, kind of like a traditional battle of the English versus Western, like the fight that we talked about in the beginning that didn't actually happen. (laughs) Um, is we just have different perspectives on things. And I so appreciate what your insight is um, when it comes to like me, like discussing through an issue with Luce or something like that, because you have such value and such education. um, And it's not a perspective that I would get from a fellow barrel racer, but it's absolutely so valuable. Yeah. And I feel the same way. I like, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get the advice that I get from you is not something that I get from, um, other dressage people, which I think is also one of the reasons that I've gotten such um, value from following Fallon Taylor. It's like, it's just kind of refreshing to, to be involved in a totally different sport that still has a lot of similar values and struggles um, and to just see it from a different perspective. I think that's just yeah. that's a whole nother topic. But um, one of the other points that you had mentioned that I think is worth bringing up is going to a horse show to see what's new, what's winning, and what's relevant. That's a really great um, kind of refresher. If your goal is competition, I think even if your goal isn't competition, it's just um, like a really great piece. It's a great, it's a great tool to kind of remind yourself like what, like if, if you're a dressage rider, you're like, okay, what's winning at second level or what's winning at fourth level? Like what, like if I'm schooling this at home, how like and you kind of, if you have a if you have a decent idea of where you like sometimes I go to a horse show and I'm like I think my horse could have beaten that horse or I'm like whoa I need to step up my game because if that's what's passing for third level around here we need to like kick it into a kick it into high gear so it's just like it's really helpful to get out there and to see what's relevant and it helps to put the rest of your industry experience like you said even if you're not showing it helps to put the rest of your industry experience in perspective. Like a girlfriend of mine the other day was shopping for a horse for her daughter and they don't barrel race. They're not barrel racing people. They just like to have like a good quality all around horse and they do a lot of trail riding. And she came across the horse that was advertised as like a potential 2D barrel horse, um, which is a pretty good quality barrel horse, depending on like, especially your um, where you're competing against. And I didn't particularly care for the horse, but I was able to tell her like, you know, if that's what they're advertising and pricing this horse at accordingly, um, you need to request some sort of documentation. Like if you're selling this horse as X, Y, Z, and that's framing your price point, then you need to request okay, don't just take it at face value, ask them, okay, where was this horse running in the 2D or what recorded runs do you have that makes you think that this horse deserves this particular price point? And she was like, oh, oh yeah. 
And I was like, you know, it just, it, it helps to kind of like enforce relevance from a, from a kind of a, a protection point as well, because she was like really excited about it. And I was like, I would ask some additional questions um, because I would be, you know, um, I'd be very surprised to see this horse um, at, at what it was advertised to be based on some of the videos and it, it, the price point should be adjusted accordingly. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was able to give them a little bit of a point of reference. Um, so even in that instance, um, kind of getting out there and just kind of seeing what is out there in the equestrian community, even if you have no desire to compete, it can still, um, provide some assistance. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But I guess moral of the story for today is, um, just be relevant. Um, if you've been doing something for 20 years and it's the same, um, that may be great. Um, but if nothing else, uh, check what you're doing and then decide like, okay, I'm still, I still believe that this is the correct way of doing things. Cause there are things in the horse industry that we have been doing for a hundred years and we'll continue to do things that way for a hundred years, because that's the tradition and that's the ceiling of the sport. And there are other things that change all the time. And you want to kind of find that sweet spot where you, um, respect and value, and educate yourself about the traditional components of the sport. And you're not like a, you know, uh, what's the, what's the phrase that they use to describe people that like try something new every day? Oh, I, I don't know. Like a, like a flip flop or walk. Yeah. You're not just like wishy-washy. Like, well, I tried this bit for three days and I tried that bit for three days and I tried this bit for three days and nothing's happening. And I'm like, well, that's, that's, not what maybe we're the problem about. isn't the bit <laughs> right um so just kind of find that sweet spot basically um you know just constantly educate yourself well with that on that note if you'd like to follow along um caroline and i have an instagram it's at equestrian underscore podcast and that's e-q-u-e-s-t-r-i-e-n-n-e underscore podcast we also have an email. We would love to hear from anybody. Questions, comments, corrections. Um, it is equestrianpodcast at outlook.com. Um, and that's else? all, folks. That's all, folks. Have a good we day. We'll see you soon.